Hi, this is Mona. And this is Aaliyah. You are listening to A Devil's Tale. Today's episode marks the end of our season one. We have planned new exciting materials for season two along with a little surprise, which we will talk about at the end of the episode. For now, let's dive into today's story. Unlike most cases we have covered in season one, which all happened fairly recently or at least in the past 50 years, Today's story dates back to a century ago, and the perpetrator is believed to be Thailand's very first serial killer. Boon was born in a remote village near a canal in a place that nowadays is part of Nakhong Panom province in Thailand. He was half Lao and half Chinese. For reasons unknown, His parents ended up giving him to his maternal grandmother to raise in Bangkok when he was five years old. Grandpa Suk and Grandma Pian raised him the best way they could by providing him a loving environment. When Boon got a little bit older, the grandparents asked him to help them maintaining the family's vegetable garden. However, Boon hated doing farm work and would rather spend time with his books or study with the monks at the temple 15 minutes away from his home. Boon was described to be a very good-looking young man, and at this point, his future looked incredibly bright. But things changed quickly when Boon met an undertaker named Grandpa Ply and started spending time at the Bamboo Knock Temple. Grandpa Ply was well-versed in dark arts. His abilities included fortune-tellings and exorcisms, but Boon was most interested to learn about the twin potion. Despite the name, the potion actually has nothing to do with birth or babies. It is actually a potion used to bewitch another into love. Boon quickly finished his studies with Grandpa Ply at the Bamboo Knock Temple, leaving him very adept in potion making, fortune telling, building magical objects, and crafting spirit dolls. His grandparents could not get behind with the path he chose and kicked him out of the house. Boon ended up moving to Bang Lampu in downtown Bangkok. When he was 20 years old, He was ordained as a monk at a well-known temple but quickly got expelled when the institution heard rumors that he practiced dark arts. After Boon was expelled, he walked down the road about two miles to Watsuthat Temple. It is one of the most famous and beautifully designed Buddhist temple in Thailand to this day. Boon tried his luck there to become a monk so he can continue building his following and do as he pleased with the protection of the saffron robe. But this temple wasn't so far away from the one where he was just expelled. The abbot of the new temple heard about Boon's shady reputation, so he denied Boon's admission. However, Boon was persistent and he begged and begged. Eventually, he warned the abbot down. Boon was ordained and allowed to take residence at this prestigious temple for the next nine years. Boon had a really nice life at the temple. He developed a devoted following around him, mostly of women. 
They were all young and beautiful, and if they weren't easy on the eyes, then they were very rich. If the followers were men, then they were manipulated to obey Boone unconditionally and treated him like their master. His life at the temple was completely against the rules. He constantly got drunk and opened up a casino. Inside the temple, discontent built up around him, but he had very popular support among the villagers and locals around the temple. He pretty much impressed all of them. Anyone who came into contact with him wanted his potions and charms. His room became a place for rituals of love. He would sneak in his female followers and have sexual relations with them. You guys can't see, but Aaliyah's covering her face right now. I knew it was coming. <laughs> yep. Some women he used to pleasure him sexually, and others he used for their wealth. He grew very wealthy and prestigious day by day. However, he was always gambling away all of the fortune he collected from his followers. It is also around this time that young women started to disappear around Boone, along with iron chest boxes from his room. Rumors started to swirl with the villagers. However, no one could pin these disappearances on Boone. Plus, a religious figure of his status was never going to be anyone's first guess. It is unthinkable a man of the robe would commit any crimes. In 1917, an iron chest box was discovered near the canal. The locals couldn't believe what was inside—a decaying corpse of a middle-aged man, later identified as Mr. Nye Lom. Mr. Lom was a very wealthy and successful jeweler. Boone invited Mr. Lom to his residence and said he's interested in buying some gems. But when Mr. Lom got there, Boone and his followers killed him and stole all of his diamonds and gems that he brought with him to sell. Boone then instructed his students to cut up the man's body and stuffed him into an iron chest. Then they hauled the iron chest on a rickshaw for closer to four miles to the other side of the Chao Phraya River and sunk it into the canal. When the locals found the iron chest, they immediately called the police. But the police didn't even know how to investigate the crime. They had never seen anything like this before. Boone got away with the murder scot-free. Nobody would have suspected him, and he continued on to live life, tricking women, running his casino, and fulfilling his most sadistic desires. On January twelfth, nineteen eighteen. A female corpse was found in an iron chest in the Chowfraya River. Her hands and feet were bound with ropes. Her body was wrapped in a mosquito net, and there were eight bricks placed inside to make sure the box sank to the bottom of the river. The victim's name was No, a millionaire who caught the eye of Boone not for her beauty but for her wealth. Noah was actually married, but her husband often ignored her to be with his mistresses. Noah fell hard for Boone since her marriage was a sham. Soon she was pregnant with Boone's child. Noah told Boone to leave the temple so they can make a home together. 
However, Boone had other plans and was reluctant to do so. Nong persisted to get Boone out of the temple, and she told him that she would give everything to him: her houses, properties, treasure chests, etc. The idea very much intrigued Boone, but he kept the option in the back of his mind and continued other sexual affairs with other women. Boone at the time also had intentions to marry another woman, the beautiful Tat. Now, with Nong constantly making future plans with him, Boone decided to do something about it. He sent a letter to Nong asking her to visit him at his room in the temple. According to the evidence, Boone strangled Nong and then instructed his students to cut up her body and place the remains in a large iron chest. Two of his disciples hired. The rickshaw and hauled the body to a temple on the banks of the Chao Phraya River. The distance between where Nong was murdered and where they disposed her body was about 18 miles apart. After Nong was killed, Boone fled and went into hiding. When the iron box was discovered by the locals, they took it to the Nong Thaburi police. By the morning of January 14, 1918. They ran a poster in the Bangkok Daily Mail asking for anybody who knew of a missing woman, and if so, to report it immediately to the police. Nong's mother had already reported her missing. When she saw the photo in the newspaper, she knew who it was without knowing the details. She contacted the local police and showed them the letter Boone wrote that she had found tucked away in Nong's room. This evidence is what police used to arrest Boone. Later that afternoon, police located Boone at the home of Mrs. Bua, mother of Tat, the young woman who Boone had his eyes on. They arrested him, and Boone admitted to the murder of Nong. He couldn't really deny his doings since the letter was clearly written by him. He also admitted to the murder of the wealthy jeweler, Mr. Long. There were five other open cases of dismembered bodies of young women discovered at the bottom of canals and rivers, stuffed in iron chests. But Boone denied the other five murders until the very day he died. Some sources say that one of his students and accomplices, Mr. Charon, murdered the other girls. Either way, the fact is that at least seven people were murdered by Boone or his students. The court found Boone guilty of murder in the death of Nong and Mr. Lom on August twelfth, nineteen nineteen. He was scheduled to be executed in public by Siamese beheading seven days later. The execution was attended by a large crowd. However, none of his family attended the beheading. Before I go on, I want to talk a little bit about the ritual related to Siamese beheading, which is no longer in practice. There is a detailed written report by P. A. Thompson from the 19th century. Executions and beheadings are a rare form of punishment, but when they happen, they are attended by the public. The condemned man is handed over to monks, who give him a last sermon. They ask him what he wishes for last meal. Often, they are also given opium. The executioner plant a bamboo stick in the center of the stage with a cross piece about two feet from the ground. 
The condemned man is led there. He sits cross-legged on the ground with his back to the bamboo and his arms pressed against his sides, tied to the elbows to the cross piece. The executioner kneels beside him, fills his ears with clay, and gives him incense to hold. Then the executioner appears, dressed in brilliant crimson, a red band bound around his forehead, wielding the sword. The executioner goes and kneels about 20 meters away, waiting for the perfect moment to strike the condemned man. He then runs out onto the stage in front of the spectators. He raises his hands to the heavens and dances around the stage on his tiptoes, slowly moving towards the condemned, and then in a sudden rush, he severs the head. After, the monks come out to chant over the dead man and bring him to a grave already dug nearby. The head is stuck upon a pole and left as a warning to other evildoers. Now we know the ritual of the beheading, let's talk about Boone's execution day. So as Thompson wrote, Boone was led out and now is sitting cross-legged in the middle of the field. The executioner did his dance around the stage as the norm in a Siamese beheading. Then suddenly he raises a white sword into the air and struck Boone's neck, but nothing happened. The sword didn't even break his skin. The executioner went into a rage. The crowd erupted, confused and shocked by what they witnessed. The executioner watched as Boone twitched his mouth, uttering some dark chants. He saw that Boone held something in his mouth. The executioner ordered Boone to spit out whatever it was, and a black Buddha amulet landed on the ground. Now it's out of his mouth. Boone was without protection. The executioner raised the white sword again and successfully severed Boone's head. Boone's execution by beheading was the last one performed in the country sanctioned by the state. On the same day, the law was changed. Firing squad was the preferred method. In 1994, a shrine for Boone, now known as Uncle Boone, was built at Wat Fa Si. People go to the temple and bring flowers, ask for blessings to bring them good luck, love, and wealth. I think in this case, as much as it's fascinating that he is the first serial killer, from what I could gather, most people, at least in Thailand, are most fascinated with the dark arts part because the first beheading was not successful. Are they like first person witnesses who, who saw that it didn't work or? There's photography online of his execution. It's actually very well documented. I wonder how much of that um, dark arts is documented. I don't know, but the twin potion is the real thing. I didn't want to make this too long and get distracted about the case, but there is a paragraph in the article. It actually teaches you how to use the potion. I wonder why it's called twin. It's like your other half or something. Exactly. It's exactly that. I'm not a fan of people saying that like fortune tellings or exorcism are dark arts. I mean, in the way he used it, for sure it is. But I don't think it ne necessarily has to be. For me, it's two separate 
things. Mm. He's a murderer doing it under the disguise that he's a monk because no one would ever suspect that he's a murderer. I mean, if that was your, if your goal was to lure people in and to take their money or to just have them because you thought they were beautiful and you had access to that kind of power and you weren't really afraid to, you know, wield it, I don't see why you wouldn't. So we have decided for the second season, besides doing true crimes, we're also going to add urban legends and folklore from Asia and perhaps all over the world. We will see. Should we also tease that we'll be having some new voices or? Yeah, for sure. We're gonna invite some of our personal friends to do either true crime stories or urban legends. To all of our listeners, thank you for all of your support so far. This is the last episode of our season one. We will be taking a two-week break and we will come right back for season two. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at A Devil's Tale. Please say hi in the comment section and feel free to DM us. If you have any feedback and story requests, you can email us at adevilstail at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe if you have enjoyed all the stories so far. Thank you so much for tuning in again, and we will see you next time.